Black Tree Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black Tree Crime. everyone hey y'all i'm kayla and i'm Kristen, and we are back <laughs> and this is black true crime period if this is your first time here at the show friend welcome and hello hey come on in have a seat sit back and relax and Get take in drink. what we have to give you absolutely happy thursday to everybody period and Today's episode is really, really, really special because I ain't going to be talking that much. It's giving a Kristen case. Jeez. It's giving me. <laughs> it's my day. I've been waiting weeks for her to do this case, y'all. Like, <laughs> specifically weeks. three. Yeah, weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it better give. I'm just kidding. No, we're really excited that she even offered to do this. She wrote it all by herself. And I'm super excited. Me too. So let's get into it because I feel like my mouth is going to fall off of my face. I still get nervous to do these <laughs> cases and yeah. I don't know why, but we are in here like slimwear and I'm mm. ready. Kayla, are you ready? I am, girl, but hold on. Let's remind our people we are going on tour. period. 2023, Black True Crime is coming to you. Mm. Hmm. Or at least close to you. So yeah. get your tickets. <laughs> get your tickets ASAP. We will stop selling them on March 1st. So you guys have about, I think, 20 days. I don't know what today is. Close to that mm-hmm. to get your tickets. And they are only available at com. So get your tickets, folks. Yeah. Okay. Now we're... Oh, one more thing. Guys, we had to put a pause on listener-requested cases. I've still been getting a lot, even though I... um announced it last episode so here's she another said, um <laughs> okay let's have to show some attitude because at this point y'all listen i'm just kidding but uh yeah we had to put a pause because there's just so many that we have right now let me get caught up a little bit and then i'll uh, start accepting them again so just look out for that announcement love you thank you also for those of you guys who follow us on instagram you've already seen the btc starter kit if you do want to start your oh, own shit. podcast and need tips and pointers kayla created a phenomenal starter pdf that shows you the basics of what you need to do and what mm-hmm. you need to get yes it's really hard to get started for a lot of people but this guide is just like Here's what you need to know and how to be successful. So it's available on blackchucrime.com as well. Round of applause, Kayla. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Okay, I'm ready. All right, let's get into it. Mm-hmm. The setting of this true tale takes place after the rise of the Italian-American mafia and early black criminal organizations. The government passed the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, what we know as RICO, in 1970. The act was instrumental in indicting and convicting large criminal organizations that were seemingly untouchable by the law. As the RICO Act was slapping hefty prison sentences on high-ranking Italian mobsters in the 80s and 90s, 
Another criminal organization was being born in the raw and rugged streets of Detroit, Michigan. Join us as we discuss the rise and fall of the Black Mafia family. Wow. So Black Mafia family, a.k.a. BMF, a.k.a. I think a big meat. Larry Hoover, period. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now just a little background on criminal organizations in the U.S., The notorious criminal syndicates we know today started out as nothing but small but effective street gangs. Mm -hmm. The original thugs of America lied within the Jewish, Irish, and Italian immigrant communities. Yeah, say that louder. The original thugs. The original white people. Were white folks, (laughs) period. Say that. Let's take the Five Points gang as an example. Founded by Paul Kelly in the mid-1800s, the gang was named after an area in lower Manhattan that was known for nothing but festering poverty and horrendous living conditions. Now, we all know this type of dog-eat-dog environment is the perfect breeding ground for crime. Mm -hmm. The gang itself had a reputation for pure brutality. They would often fight with rival gangs to the death, which we know now is like, duh, that's what gangs do. But back then, right. But back then, it was like, whoa, this is intense, uncalled for, chill out. Mm -hmm. Slow it down. The immigrant gang became home to notorious high-ranking mafia bosses we know today, like Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, and Johnny Torrio. They all got their start within this little five-points gang. Oh. Fast forward, the American mafia, known to have been the largest, most influential criminal organization in the United States, was ripping and running the streets of everywhere. Most heavily, though, in New York, alongside the Irish mob, the Jewish mafia, and here is where we come in. Black crime syndicates in the early 1900s were getting their start in the streets of Harlem, running the numbers game. Kristen, now, why are you looking proud, bitch? This is nothing to be proud about. Well, I, I kind of am proud because it's like, dang, all y'all expected was making money and, mm-hmm. and y'all called us thugs, but y'all were the original thugs. And yeah. we didn't come in the game until the 1900s, finally getting our piece of the pie in illegal money, which is money, period, because mm-hmm. the people needed it. Yep. And two, now we get to see, okay, what is the black footprint on this so-called criminal organization ring? Let's see how we do it. So I am kind of excited. Okay, okay. Excitement, yes, not not proud. proud. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Now, for those of us who don't know the numbers game, aka the mafia lottery, it was an illegal version of basically the pick three lottery today. Gamblers would place their bet a choice of three numbers with a bookie pay them a sum of money in hopes that their numbers would match the ones that would be drawn the next day. Okay. If so, they would get a nice payout, period. Dope. Big-time black gangsters like Casper Holstein and Stephanie St. Clair were getting paid the big money back then in the numbers game. Mm -hmm. And they really turned that numbers racket into a million-dollar black-owned business before the Italians and the Jewish crime syndicates took a piece of the pie. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love to gamble, child. So I probably would have been in the thick of it. <laughs> and the fact that it used to be illegal and now people are like can't wait to just go to the gas station and put in a couple of numbers is hilarious to me. Right. Capitalism. That part. Anything to make a buck. Mm-hmm. Head over to Detroit in the mid-70s. You Now you got the Young Boys Incorporated, which was dubbed by a U.S. Senate subcommittee as one of the most sophisticated 
corporate-like, structured, organized crime groups outside of the Italian mafia. She. Now, this is huge because, you know, black people, or if you are um, aware of black criminals, we're not really known for structure and organization and doing things in a way where there's respect of your name. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just thugs run, ripping and running the streets, killing for no reason, thugging, selling dope, and that's it for a quick buck. Mm-hmm. So the young boys was actually accredited some, I guess, like, what do you say? They were like recognized as, yes. yeah, being in, being some, a threat, basically. Like for a black criminal syndicate to be compared to the Italian mafia when it came to structure and corporate like sophistication, that's yeah. huge because yeah. the mafia had structure top from top right. to bottom. Yeah. I mean, some people... Not some. A lot of people to this day, you still see them making documentaries about how, you know, the Italian mob used to run New York and New Jersey and Philly, all that type of shit. They still make stuff about that. So it's it's criminal, but it's still impressive what they were able to do. Period. Now, on June 21st, 1968, in Cleveland, Ohio, Charles and Lucille Flannery had their first child. Little did they know the little bugger, Demetrius Edward Flinnery, a.k.a. Big Meech, Big would, become, would become a notorious drug lord in the United States. Wow. Kayla, do you have anything to say in regards to the 1960s, the 1980s? Kristen, you don't even give me a day, ho, but <laughs> what I'm going to say. But what I do have for today in reference to black history is some was made last night lebron james lebron james he became the leading scorer all-time scorer in the history of the nba um he knocked some nigga named kareem right off his little pedestal that he'd been up on for almost 40 years and it was a nice spectacle i watched it and yeah so that's some history for you well, that's pretty stinking awesome for LeBron James. Yeah. Here for it. 20-year career, and he's not done yet. So love him or hate him, that nigga could play. Nigga could play, okay? Thank you, Kayla, for such black history. Current black history at that. We don't do a lot of current black history. I like that. Thank you, sister. Because it's not really history, but period. It will make history. He's ma- He made history today. So period. I mean, yesterday. So that's dope. Okay, let's get back to the Flinneries. They would later have two more children, Terry, mm-hmm. a.k.a. people will call him Southwest T, and Nicole Flinnery, which was the youngest, the youngest child. Oh. Now, my, re- my research shows the children were raised by both parents in a traditional family home. Okay. Although they struggled to make ends meet in the rough cities of Detroit, which kind of put a certain strain between Mr. Charles, the dad, and Lucille, the mom. There was one thing I will say, sister. Most people that listen to our show have probably been watching the show BMF that's on Stars right now Fast. that talks about all of this. So Charles is not somebody we've with for real. He's a well, dick. I, I only made it to episode one, so I don't really know what it's <laughs> given. But I did see that he possibly could have cheated on Lucille. But it also said this is a loosely. Um, related to the nonfiction version of the story. So I don't know if they made that up or not. I'm hoping so. The way he was looking at that woman, helping her in her house, he ain't even can't pay his own doggone bills. (laughs) (laughs) While she's flying her big old booty hole and sweeping and stuff, and he fixing her stuff, looking at her like that. I was like, oh, Uh, no. 
Charles. And not you supposed to be the leader of the kingdom of God or kingdom of house um, music <laughs> band. Not oh. you playing a part of them and having your own gospel uh, music label, Charles. Chrissy, you know them church is the worst. Oh, I digress. Mm -hmm. Now, anyway, so you already know. So if anybody has seen BMF, it is a series on stars mm -hmm. that is about to be recording their season two or airing it. One of those. Yeah, they're airing it. You see a little bit about the dynamic of Big Meech, Terry, his mom, his dad, and even his sister. So we'll fast forward a little bit just to say that, yes, Mr. Charles was working a job, but it wasn't enough. And Big Meech and Terry wanted more. They didn't want to struggle for the rest of their life. Yeah, I feel that. Me too. So the brothers joined a black crime syndicate called 50 Boys while Terry was in high school. Now, based on the BMF series on stars, Big Meech had already dropped out of school at this time. Which was another reason why him and his father wasn't really kicking it. The gang was known for only selling 50 bags of cocaine on the streets of Detroit. Now, 50 Boys was founded by E.D. Boyd. Crowned as the godfather of Detroit, Boyd was originally from Detroit, but spent some time in Brooklyn. And while he was there, he was taught the drug business by a Puerto Rican kingpin and a few other New York OGs. And that's when he returned to Detroit to basically okay. take over the street corners, slanging cocaine. He even hired a crew, which we know he hired Big Meech, Southwest T, and then his best friend, and taught them the game. He also taught them the meaning of family, respect, loyalty, and entrepreneurship. This would come up huge later in the game. Yeah. He continued to mentor the brothers even when they branched off to start their own drug trafficking operation, which they called themselves the Black Mafia family. Now, boy, just a little side note, boys, 50 boys, was even recognized by the most powerful members of Young Boys Incorporated. Remember them? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've said 72 names already. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. I do remember them. Yes. Yes. This is how we fill in, by the way. Young Boys was the people who were basically um, respected and likened to that of the Italian Mafia. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm writing notes now. <laughs> so while they were still 50 boys, E.D. Boyd recalled during his 2022 interview with DJ Vlad that Meech and some other crime members were sitting in a booth at a restaurant called Stanley's off of 8 Mile in Woodward when they caught some attention from str some street dudes in the booth across the way. Are you talking about Vlad as in the op, as in Vlad TV? Vlad TV. Oh, wow. From what ED said, the 50 boys were being flamboyant, you know, letting folks know who they are, what they be about. They had their flashy chains on, all of that. So when it was time to step outside of Stanley's, the street dudes in the booth across the way was already outside waiting for them. And in an attempt to rob them, they actually shot Meech in the neck during this encounter. Oh, my God. But he survived, and it would not be the last time Meech was shot. I actually did some research, and I saw that he was shot in the tail. I think Ooh. about a girl or some mess like that. His booty? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know I, you can must die be humbling. That. Like that, Like, people think, oh, you get shot in the ass, and that's, like, not too bad, but... If you get shot in the ass, it's more likely to travel um, in your body. So that's scary. That is very scary mm -hmm. and very humbling. Mm -hmm. So Big Meech and Terry actually founded the BMF in 1985. 
Black Mafia Family is known to be an American drug trafficking organization, and it generated upwards $270 million in profit and employed approximately 500 people around the nation at its peak. She Like, that's a big operation. I'm proud of them. <laughs> I really am. Now, if in, rever- in reference, or if you want to relate this to something, mm-hmm. the numbers game that we spoke about back in the early 1900s, they were pulling in 500 mil annually. Mm. Okay. This is, and their um, I believe their operation was like twice as many people involved, and that was the early 1900s. So, although the BMF wasn't like, you know, to the standard of that or to the level of that type of money, they were still pulling in a lot of money with a lot of employees. Oh yeah, they was touching big bank, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that a little later. According to the DEA, Big Meech was based in ATL, handling distribution while Terry would go to L.A. to receive drug shipments from their Mexican drug cartel Connect. Mexicano. Mm -hmm. In the middle of this picture, if you guys are on on our Patreon, you will see Big Meech, he has the corn rolls, and then Terry, which is the one next to him. Mm -hmm. Is Big Meech giving, Kristen? I don't really like... (laughs) No disrespect to the lighter-skinned black folk, because I love y'all, but... Y'all really not, like, my first glance. So I was immediately looking at Terry first, his strong neck self. But um, Mitch was all right. I can see him pulling, for sure. Okay. And you like him fluffy, too, so. Mm -hmm. Terry. So according to the DEA, Big Meech was based in ATL handling distribution, while Terry would go to L.A. to receive drug shipments from their Mexican drug cartel connect. The Brothers Mob operated in dozens of U.S. cities, including Detroit, L.A., Atlanta, and St. Louis. Period. Hometown. Hello. The drugs would arrive in vehicles, often luxurious ones like limousines, that were fitted with these secret compartments they would call traps. So the trap vehicles would also carry drug money from the sales to be sent back to the Mexican cartel, as well as the drugs themselves, to sell. The mob's peak years were during 2003 and 2004. Now, this was around the time Demetrius founded BMF Entertainment, a legal record label that still exists today. Meech was trying to kill two birds with one stone. He wanted to launder illegal drug money through a legal business, and he wanted to find a way to generate legal sources of income. Okay, it's giving P. Diddy. Period. My next sentence was... BMF Entertainment turned into a successful record label where Meech and his artists at the time, Blue Da Vinci, were affiliated with the likes of Jay-Z, Jeezy, Diddy, and T.I. A lot. So they were in there, like Slim Lair. Like, people knew who BMF was and still yeah. do. Kristen, I, why do I feel like this happened so much longer ago than it did? Like, I'm like, every time you say the name that I know, I'm like, damn, am I old? But, like, no, they're, they're just relatively young men. Straight like that, like 85, these dudes was all probably what? In their younger prime? Yeah. Thotting yeah, and plotting. Like a, little, a little bit older than our parents, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeezy interviewed with DJ Vlad too, and he recalls the time Big Meech hit him up to insist he pack his bags because I quote, yo Jeezy, we going to Cancun. Jeezy then retorts, who the F is we? Meech replies, everybody. So Meech actually chartered an entire commercial airplane and took 300 of ATL strippers, rappers, including Juvenile, Lil Jon, Bone Crusher, and everyone else who wanted to go. And he paid for it all. 
the job is there, Kayla. Kristen, please. I'm here for it. It's a party. It's a party. It's a party. Hey. And with you paying for it all, I'm going. I, I don't know what I'm I doing said, there, but I'm going. Would I have been on the flight? Would I have been on the jet? Yeah. Period. And a skimpy fishnet? Yeah. Period. With a 90s short pixie cut? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. And you know this. They served crystal meth on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Took a turn there. Not I, said the rabbit. With Big Meech even trying to fly the dog on plane. The pilots were getting agitated with this Brady Bunch, and they were threatening to turn the plane around if they didn't sit their asses down. But He's they hooligans. end up Right, you hooligans. They end up making it to Cancun. Jeezy remembered that they all stayed in the same hotel and they would walk to the same club every night, 300 deep, all wearing black t-shirts. And we're talking Jeezy as in the Jeezy that's saying, my main bitch likes to eat with chopsticks, Jeezy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Young Jeezy was really cool with Meech back then. Aww. Clearly, Demetrius was living his best life, enjoying the lavish life that money could buy. The generosity that he showed on the trip was a testament to how he treated everybody in his circle, including his crime members. The Flinnery brothers built BMF on the same tenants that Boyd taught them, a major one being loyalty. They took care of theirs, flashy cars, extravagant trips. Them and their families would always be taken care of. Now, speaking of family, at the time, Lil Meech, Demetrius' son, was around three or four. And he remembers having nothing but the time of his life during his childhood. From parties to trips to Disneyland to having multiple houses, he was always around his dad experiencing the best of the best. That's cute. It's super cute. And it's super cute that he plays his father in the series BMF. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was the same person when I saw the picture. No shade. Especially so when he has his corn rolls. He yeah. looks just like his daddy. Just like him. Now, at the time when he was young, Lil Meech didn't have a clue what his daddy was really into. He just knew, you know, about BMF entertainment and having a blast. That was it. Okay. But in a few years, that would change. Uh-oh. Several events would take place during the early 2000s that will ultimately help strengthen the DEA's case against BMF. On October 28, 2003, they will call the two-year organized crime drug enforcement task force they had begun Operation Motor City Mafia. This was a major deal because the very thing we don't see happening with less notorious cases was a major theme with the law enforcement in this case, and that was the collaboration and full cooperation of multiple government agencies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did happen with the Italian mob and stuff like that. They were doing everything in their human power well outside of the corrupt office i was about to say sis even the government the local not even local the government partnered with the likes of italian mafia to put a hit out on martin luther king yeah Kristen. yeah you're right so but at the end of the day they could give Kristen, you better say that because it took them a lot longer to get a hold of all that stuff Mm -hmm. than i feel like it did for them to try to shut bmf down thank you thank you very much because the italian mafia i mean they had like hotel law enforcement lawmakers all of that not only on their payroll but within the mob family yeah that's true that's true lawyers everything Mm -hmm. so the dea 
federal and local law enforcement, and even the IRS was involved in Operation Motor City Mafia. A DEA agent, Bob Bell, states, we built that relationship up, we built that trust, and we shared information seamlessly. I don't like how they naming themselves Mafia when they're trying to go after, you know, I don't, yo, all right. They're being funny. Like, like, like they think they're slick. About law enforcement, not a damn thing. And this just proves to you they're fucking criminals. They are an organized criminal organization that is legally being able to be run because the government is corrupt. Stanking from the rooter to the tutor. A legal criminal organization. Well, okay, but for y'all that actually have good hearts out here, because I know one specifically, we're not yes. talking about you. But at the same time, like, you, I don't know what you, you can work do. work for a corrupt organization. It should be an oxymoron saying a legal criminal organization. It's not. Cause it's, it's tomorrow. not. Because it's real. And we see it every day. <laughs> no shade. Now, around this time, it was said that Terry and Meech were experiencing fallouts and feuds regarding a number of things one of them being Meech's flamboyant tendencies. Mm. Terry felt like Meech was drawing unnecessary attention to their organization, and to be fair, he was right. I was about to say, Meech was doing the that. most. Yeah, yeah. He's a flashy like, guy. He was flashy, and he was so into BMF Entertainment and all the different people they were meeting and just, you know, the life. Like, Terry was like, uh-uh, we're not trying to do all of this. But Meech was like, what you think we got all of this for? Some people up. want the money. Some people want the fame. Period. He's just giving, you know, he, he was interested in the fame more so. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. So Terry supposedly officially moved to L.A. to head his part of the organization, while Big Meech stayed in ATL to man the main distribution center. Okay. Little did Terry know the DEA had tapped into his phone and was listening to his conversations for a five month period of time. Oh, Isn't that some snake stuff? <laughs> oh, shit. I, I feel like it should be. <laughs> this makes no sense. I feel like the government should tell you if they're tapping your phone. It should be illegal if they tap your phone without telling you. It's like the utmost violation of privacy. Like, how are you going to tap my phone and you didn't even let me know? That's like Google coming on all of a sudden when I showed it and say, okay, Google, hey, Google. Yeah, yeah, and it does that. It you, does. She's recording Ooh, what you be talking about. It just turned on. Yeah, see, shady bitch. Can't yeah, I don't like stuff. that. You can't trust oh, You can't trust up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Never mind, Google. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't like that. I feel like that, like we said, legal criminal organization. There should be no way you can listen to what I got going on. And I'm not, I'm not talking about no bombs and no airplanes. Yeah. None of that. Yeah. I'm We're being saying. biased because, you know, whatever, because we can be. But I understand why they do it. They are breaking the law and they're trying to catch them in the act. But, you know. Right. But you could use that same technology to just listen just because. They could be doing that to me right now because I have this podcast. Kayla. So who's, 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 who's really? Yeah. Yeah. That part. So during the year 2004, law enforcement was cracking down on the BMF organization as low-level arrests were being made involving low- to mid-level dealers. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, these dealers weren't as loyal as the high-level crime members, and they began sharing details about the drug operation. Snitching. Man, they say you got to... 
catch a snake from the head, but apparently you can catch it from his tail. I'm just saying, that shit, you feel it, whether it's the head or the tail, that snake gonna feel it. Ew, I hate snakes. I just got a visual. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I've been having dreams about snakes lately. I don't Girl, know you why. got a snake in your grass. You better watch who you be around. I'm telling you. Quick question, friend. Have you tried Magic Vine yet? I know I've been talking about it, but honestly, I highly recommend trying it. It's amazing. Not only are the effects and the benefits all the way there, okay? Because remember in 2023, we're taking care of ourselves in every way, shape, and form. But the packaging is the cutest thing. It makes you actually want to drink it every single day. I'd like to drink mine in the morning. It's cold and I just easily either take it as a shot or add it to a smoothie that I drink. And it really helps kickstart my day. They're running a sale right now that allows you to save up to 56% off of your first subscription. 56% off of anything is a deal, a steal, and I want it. <laughs> so I highly recommend trying it out. Go to magicmind.co. You can use our code BLACK14 to get 20% off your order as well. And yeah, what are you waiting for? <laughs> okay, back to the episode. On July 25th, 2004, a group of BMF members were leaving the club Velvet Room in ATL in the wee hours of the early morning. Mm. They were driving a Porsche SUV, and as they were backing out toward the crowd, a man tapped the car to let the driver know, like, hey, I'm back here. Chill out. Okay. Several men hopped out the car and proceeded to beat this man up. And one and one other dude they also tow up. And within minutes, 23, I couldn't see if he was 23 or 24 at the time. But at that age, Rashanable Prince Drummond was severely beaten and then shot dead. Rashanable? Mm. No. See, that's the that's the that's why I'm gonna have an issue, bitch. Make your money selling your drugs, your grandmama, your great grandmama. But don't be doing unnecessary violence. That was just like ego violence. Straight ego, pure Disgusting. ego. Yeah. You was about to back into him, and you mad that he touched your car? That he was like, "Hey, I'm back here." That's corny mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Police would suspect Fleming Daniels, a high-ranking BMF member, to be the main aggressor, but unfortunately, it would take three years for them to indict him on charges. Okay. This dude was slippery. And this is a though. straight up murder. This is like a. Yeah. This is they indicted him on murder. Yeah, and the other dude was in a coma that they beat up. So oh. um, in May 2007, he was actually indicted on murder, aggravated battery, firearm charges, and other charges related to cocaine distribution. Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks like somebody's uncle grandpa. It looks like somebody's literally uncle brother, brother uncle, yeah. Yeah. who stole the cookie from the cookie jar. But um, okay. <laughs> Rest in peace to Rashanable Drummond. Rest in peace, Rashanable. Less than two months after Drummond was murdered, a drug courier, Ulysses Hackett, who was believed to be on the verge of turning informant, was shot to death in the bed alongside his, alongside his girlfriend, Misty Carter. They were killed, Kristen? Yes, together. Can you warn us well, before we get to the murder? Good Lord, there was no warning. There really wasn't, and I literally have a title saying killings. Maybe I should have said that. That would have been I nice. didn't know how to transition. It's your first time in a while. It's okay. Thanks. So, yeah, he was shot to death next to his girlfriend, literally chilling in the bed. So, rest in peace to Ulysses Hackett and Misty Carter. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will have no sympathy for them because they were like, yo, you used to be a part of the operation, and then you snitch. 
But oh. at the same, right, because he was believed to be turning informant. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, that tracks. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, you understand that that's fucked up in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of like morality, but when it comes to gang morality, like that's snitching is worse than killing. That's someone, a crime. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I heard so somebody I was listening to the other day was like, "How you mad about somebody snitching?" AKA telling the truth about what you did. You know, when it's time to pay the piper, because eventually in the gang, in that crime real life, you eventually have to pay the piper. So if you're mad about somebody exposing you, at the end of the day, you should be mad that you even jumped into the life. So I kind of hear both sides, but at the end of the day, if we're talking about gang code, Mm -hmm. mafia code, you don't run your mouth. Right, because I'm like, even with the Young Thug situation and like how all of those, you know, his, I guess, co-conspirators or whoever else he was being charged with, they kind of all got deals. And even with Gunna, people say Gunna snitched. We don't know that for sure. Like, we didn't see transcripts and stuff like that. But I can understand the loyalty behind it. Because if it starts with loyalty, it should end with loyalty. And that's not always the case when you're looking at bitch life behind bars. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, people are like, well, why are you trying to have a moral code in the criminal the criminal world anyway? Everyone but has a code. Like, everybody has a code. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Ulysses Hackett, the mm-hmm. drug courier, was close associates with a high-ranking BMF member named Tremaine Graham. Now, Kayla, what? His, he goes by Kiki. Okay, yeah. Ooh, Kiki. <laughs> Talk about the cookie Patreon. monster. If you're on Patreon, you see it. You see Kiki looking like the grouch from Sesame Street. So here's the thing. Kiki was nobody to play with because at the time Mm -hmm. he was the mayor. At the time, he was the mayor of Atlanta's son-in-law. Ooh. Whoa. So it's now November 2004. And after all of this, including a drug stash house in northwest Atlanta being raided by Atlanta police and the DEA, Demetrius Flannery and much of the BMF have fled the city. Mm-hmm. Although no arrest occurred at the unoccupied house, officers discovered three firearms, fake IDs, BMF paraphernalia, and some weed. Okay. They also confiscated two vehicles, including a 2003 Hummer H2 stretch limo, suspected to be one of their trap vehicles. Okay. So the agents searched the vehicle but it did not produce any contraband. So the vehicle was later forfeited and sold at a public auction. That's the thing about this. Like, if you're making illegal money, best believe the government is coming for you because they want their money. They Uncle want Sam their piece of the pie. Is a bitch, yeah. mm-hmm. It's like, you didn't pay me tithes and offering? Okay, bet. Coming to you. So get this. Later down the line, agents receive a tip about these trap compartments, the traps we were talking about earlier, that the mob was would fit their cars with. So in August 2008, agents relocated the Hummer. This is what? Three years later, they relocated the Hummer, which was sold four times by then since its original sale by the government in 05. In accordance with the federal search warrant, agents searched the vehicle again only to discover that they missed $900,000 in cash and seven semi-automatic guns hidden in these trap compartments. Kristen, shut your suckers. What? Girl. Like, not only... 900 grand. 900 grand sitting in the the car with seven semi-automatic weapons. 
holy shamoli. So four different owners could have had their hands on $900,000. Krista, how sick are they? I would be <laughs> so... Uh, oh, all they had to do was like take a metal detector through that beach. I feel like anything that you buy from a police auction, you should thoroughly check because for the love of God, there's money everywhere. Like people, there's so come on. Oh Lord, I'm sick right now. I could have had that nine hundred grand. <laughs> I would have been so mad. Like as a limo, like you, there's just so many opportunities for anything to be anywhere. Yeah. Search. So next time y'all buy a car, do your investigations. Because you never I'm know also, what's in the car. I'm also really surprised that they didn't figure the trap part out as far as the vehicles when they were tapping Terry's phone for five months or, you know, whatever time they were doing. I'm surprised they didn't figure that out sooner. That's a phenomenal observation. And I feel like maybe it slipped through the cracks or maybe they did search, but they didn't mm -hmm. search hard enough because yeah. they received a tip that hey that hummer that y'all that limo that y'all confiscated y'all didn't look hard enough because there's some stuff in there oh my god who said that whoever said Stitches. that is like king snitch and he deserves what he get so by october 2005 47 members of the black mafia family were arrested over 600 kilograms of cocaine and 14 million dollars in cash and assets were seized Oh, my Lord. And that was including more than 30 cars and 13 homes. Just insane. What? And this is like after the murder of Ulysses Hackett Correct. and Missy Carter. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after so, all that, like once their informant was killed, they just started moving. Basically, like once the informant was killed and once that, that stash house was raided, yeah. oh, the Flinneries was like, uh-uh. We got to move operations. We got to split up. They're really on yeah. to us. Yeah. And then they just left all this type of shit behind and it just was. Well, I don't even know if they left it behind. I think it was confiscated. Like when they were okay. seizing and raiding stash houses and arresting people, they were taking their assets. Okay. Oh, okay. So they're arresting people too. Okay. So this is a yes. full blown, we have what we need. Y'all are going to jail. This is a racketeering case. Operation Regal. Motor City Mafia. So eventually Demetrius was captured at a large home in Dallas suburb and Terry was captured in St. Louis. Louis. Yeah. To be honest, I had to take my hat off to the government for being able to dismantle a 500 employee deep organization, multi-million dollar organization in just the span of two years. Like that's, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, it, it's huge. Were they doing it legally? No, no, no. Were they, yeah, Chris? We know. Bitch, we, know. we know. Okay. They we know. they were using some very unconventional, if you will, mm -hmm. tactics to get the dirt. Right. Side note: So you know, Jeezy and Big Meech were super cool back then, right? And during the time of the early two thousands, Jeezy was known to have a major beef with another ATL rapper. Guachi. <laughs> On May 10th, 2005, Henry Pookie Lock Clark was killed by Gucci Man during an attempted Pookie robbery. Lo. Is that his name? Pookie Lo? I don't I don't know anything about him, but okay. that's what Gucci when Gucci refers to him, he calls him Pookie Lo. Oh, you rude. I know. I know. Gucci still I mean, if someone tried to kill me and I quote unquote took them out, 
I don't know. I I would probably let it go because I'm just a mature person. But with rap beef and all that type of stuff, you know, even with the verses that they did, I think last year, like he was talking about Gucci, mm-hmm. and it was like very distasteful. And Gucci, I mean, Jeezy really held his own. He was, you know, he didn't lose his shit. He remained respectful. And I was like, that was a bit much, Gucci. But I were 48 yeah. years old now. Yeah, you could tell Jeezy went to therapy. Yeah, he's he's done some healing. Mm-hmm. So. Gucci Mane killed Pookie Locke during an attempted robbery committed by Pookie and four other dudes. It was said that the BMF actually ordered the robbery as a sign of solidarity to Jeezy. Um, But unfortunately, they did not expect Gucci Mane to be strapped and ready to go while he was visiting an ATL stripper he had just met that day. Hmm. And yeah, so Gucci was actually tried for this murder, but was later cleared of all charges due to acting in self-defense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Go listen to the truth. By Gucci, he'll tell you everything. I put it down so long and so strong. Chris, and that's not the song. Oh. No. What song is that? Off the leash. Excuse me. Okay, so now we're at trial. 49 defendants were charged alongside the Flannery brothers, with nine of them pleading guilty by 2007. Mind Mm -hmm. you, a hundred and something BMF brothers were arrested, but we're not going to talk about all of them. We're going to talk about Mm -hmm. these 49 defendants that were charged alongside the Flannery brothers. Nine of them had already pleaded guilty by 2007, and one of those people was even Jacob Arabo. Don't know how to say his last name. But they knew him as Jacob the Jeweler. He was arrested on accusations that conspired to launder $270 million in drug profits for the BMF. So basically, he was a part of the whole operation because that's how much they made at their peak. Yeah. So those charges were eventually dropped, and he pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of falsifying records and giving false statements. He received two and a half years in federal prison for this, and he had to forfeit $2 million to the government. That is not bad. That's like that's like what they did with that big boy, Pleasure P friend, Baby Blue. Uh-huh. And he just, he stole all that money from the PPP. He stole like millions oh. and millions of dollars with his PPP loan scam. He went to jail for like six months. And now he only owes like a million dollars in restitution. But one thing about it, the government is like, whether you serve this time or not, I'm going to get my money. Some of it, at least. I mean, $2 million from one person alone out of the whole organization. I mean, they got their money from Jacob. Jacob, you have to pay the piper on that. He got it. He got it. He did. Kayla, he got it. And he's back in business today. Better than ever. (laughs) Shout out to Jacob, the jeweler. (laughs) Demetrius and Terry Flannery were both charged under the Continuing Criminal Enterprise Statute. So not RICO, Continuing Criminal Enterprise Statute, which I don't know the difference. I did not look this up because I didn't think about it. I should have. No, that's all right. That's all right. So this was, so they were charged under this statute. One, conspiracy to distribute five kilograms or more of cocaine. Two, possession with intent to distribute more than 500 grams of cocaine. Three, conspiracy to launder monetary instruments. And four, two counts of possession with intent to distribute more than five kilograms of cocaine. Okay. Now, if you think about this, it's it's given like, okay, these are pretty big charges, but they're not given RICO. So I, I right. wonder why. I really would love to know more about that. Maybe the operation wasn't big enough. Maybe they yeah. didn't have enough evidence. I'm yeah, not sure. That's, that's fair. I think... 
Because when you hear Rico, like you immediately think the Italian mob. And then when you get to things more like recently, it's easier. They, they're charging gangs, you know, with the Rico charges. So I yeah. think things just changed over time. But I guess it's a good thing they weren't charged with Rico because they'd be guess, spending oh. a lot more time in jail. Yeah. Um, the trial revealed some of the BMF tactics of money laundering which I was excited to get into because you never know how many ways there are to launder and hide some money. Mm -hmm. They paid for several winning Michigan state lottery tickets from a third party party. And then they cashed in the tickets to make their drug money appear to be legitimate. Wow. That's pretty smart. It was pretty smart. They also funneled drug money through banks and money wiring services to disguise where the money came from. And then we I'm also sure they know- use Jacob, Jacob's jewelry. Like it's it's probably smart to push money through jewelry stores and, you know, especially the high end shit. Absolutely. And of course, they use BMF entertainment as well. Oh, yeah. So an additional 16 black mafia family members were indicted on July 25th, 2007. Fleming Daniels, the suspect of the Drummond case, was one of them. Everybody but him pled guilty. Wow. Yeah. Although the prosecution had no records, and this was probably why, the prosecution had no recordings of Daniels admitting he distributed cocaine and he was Mm -hmm. not found with any cocaine on his person. Okay. But they did have two eyewitness testimonies that placed Daniels as receiving kilograms of cocaine. So because of the snitches, they got Daniels. (laughs) snitches will get you every time that's why you don't tell people shit i'm telling you and it's like even the people he was working with they was the ones snitching yeah that's that's sad it's hard to like that's why it's always going to be hard for me to trust anybody because (laughs) throw their like life in front of them or a good amount of cash in front of them and they're gonna they're gonna sell your ass it's 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 self-preservation overall Mm -hmm. at the end of the day so he was convicted and charged with a 20-year sentence. On February 26, 2010, he then pleaded guilty to murdering Rashonable Drummond, and he received an additional 20 years for that. Oh, he ain't getting out. No, he, he got some time on it. And the and thing this is, is... this is Fleming. This is Fleming Daniels. Okay. What he should have did was handle that Rashonable Drummond case from the jump and mm-hmm. have pleaded guilty because... You got 20 years in 2010 on top of the 20 years you got back in 2007. Like you just added really 23 years to your sentence. Yeah, I definitely feel like he should have handled that case in the sense of like saying, hey, let's work out a deal, you know, because they be doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. So like that one guy in the Italian mafia, he like killed, I don't know, like 25 people or something like a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. uh admitted it like worked out a deal and only had to serve five years and then went into witness protection like are you joking and now he does like hella interviews everywhere bitch if anybody's doing an interview about the mob he's on it i can't remember his name right now though but yeah the ultimate snitch that's what it's giving and he's getting paid yeah like six nine some other members that served or are still serving time include Chad Joe Brown, Dion Beverly, Lamar Fields, Deron Hall, Victor Hammonds, and Franklin Nash. Mm-hmm. 
United States Attorney David E. Namaya said these sentencings helped bring to a close the Justice Department's successful dismantling of the BMF, a coast-to-coast drug empire once so brash and powerful that it purchased freeway billboards proclaiming that the world was theirs, their world. One bill on illegal drugs and gun violence has crumbled thanks to the hard work of many law enforcement agents and prosecutors. Now all that is left for the BMF criminals is time. Prison time. Wow. They have they have billboards talking about the city is ours. The fucking matter. And I'm sure they framed it as like BMF entertainment, like this was the lyric <laughs> in one of our songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good lord. I mean, yeah, money and power. Money and power. It goes to your head. Especially as like black men who don't really have a lot of power, like in these streets in in in, in the the United States. Like, yeah. this was probably something for them that they were like, oh, we're going to ride this till the wheels fall off. Yeah. And then coming from nothing, like coming from such a struggle, you know, I'm sure it was like, I want everybody to know that I'm here. Like Terrell, Chris, and Terrell, t- I can't go a day without Terrell talking about, you know, well, when I was growing up, we was eating air sandwiches. Like, he, like <laughs> he's going to remind me where he came from, Jeff. Like, thank Terrell, period. And now you was... You a slice of, yeah. of money. Period. I was going to say that, but I want to air out his business. Nobody coming for him. It's just my man. And if you do try, no shade. A whole bar. <laughs> and she wasn't playing. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So both Demetrius and Terry pleaded guilty and were sentenced to 30 years in federal prison. Demetrius is serving his prison sentence at the Sheridan Federal Correctional Institute. That's what I saw in my research. And due to good behavior, he is scheduled for release in May 2028. Five years. Wow. Not bad. Not bad. Mm -hmm. Southwest T. Terry was released to home confinement on May 5th, 2020. That's Meech. Yep. Period. That's Patreon, him in prison. Mm-hmm. He looks. He still looks nice. He, he looks he, good. He's aging nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Terry was released to home confinement on May fifth, two thousand and twenty, as a result of the Federal Bureau of Prisons' move to limit the spread of COVID in prisons. Now, I read Terry was ill or something like that, which is why, due to they didn't want COVID to spread to their like, I guess, more vulnerable pay- prison inmates. They let right. him out. Okay. And if you look at his pictures, Kayla, pop up his IG pictures. Terry's living, okay? I don't know yeah, what yeah. home confinement means because I don't see no bra- bracelet on his ankle. He's outside. He's living his best life. He was in limousines. If you check out his Instagram <laughs> handle, you will see what he's yeah. all about. His and outfit's giving ice cream, ice, uh, 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 ice cream paint job. But <laughs> I'm living. Terry is living his best life despite the feud that him and um, his brother had. They are thicker than thieves. He cannot wait for his brother to come out. I think he specifically says something about ready to go at it again or ready to take over again. So Terry ain't quitting, okay? Whether he's talking about the music entertainment industry or whatever he's talking about. He's ready to get back with his bro to make some moves happen. You can tell these brothers are still young. Yeah. Like, At least, you know, young in their minds as, as far as, like, still 
ready to go, jovial, like, you know, have that oomph about them. Mm -hmm. And actually the other day, because Terrell watches the show and I guess he likes to watch interviews with um, 50 and all that type of stuff. 50 said that Meech's son was kind of going down the same road as his father. So he was getting into like the drug scene and all that type of stuff. And 50 like personally paid for his acting classes and, you know, kind of took him away from that that avenue and showed him you know acting and put him in the show so that's really nice i think that was nice because it's like you don't have to do it that way let me show you how to do it this way you know because it would be heartbreaking if younger meach ended up in jail too on the same shit you know because 2023 there's so many ways to make money you don't have to go to jail and that's a fact spending your life in jail yeah especially if you're trying to like subconsciously pay homage to your daddy and this way 50 kind of gave him a way to do that but instead of it being in the streets it's in the fake streets of a tv show you know (laughs) where he's actually playing his father so i love that for him and speaking Mm -hmm. of Lil meech so Lil meech turned seven when big meech was incarcerated um like i say he had no clue what his dad and his uncle were doing until one day he actually had to google it for himself now, he was asking his mom, like, you know, what happened to my dad? Like, where is dad? And his mm-hmm. mom kept telling him that he would be on a business trip or he was handling, you know, something in L.A. or Miami instead of telling wow. him the truth. So it wasn't until... For years, mom? For years? <laughs> it wasn't until Meech was 10 or 11 years old where he Googled his daddy's name and found out mm-hmm. everything that was going on. How one thing I did learn is when my parents would lie to me, it just made me not trust them. And it made me feel like they was lying about almost everything. For instance, my mom was like, oh, don't have sex. It's the worst pain you'll ever experience in your life. I was like, mom, that don't sound right. That don't sound right for a second. And then I went and did it. I was like, you know, she's a liar. So (laughs) your first was not anything to write home about. Crayon. Pencil. (laughs) No. Ground, not even jumbo ground, ground. Um, so I feel that, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> in my personal opinion, like, she was right. <laughs> she was right oh. for the first time, but not the ones to follow. She was wrong about that, but yeah. <laughs> Listen, all I know is if you don't have to lie to your kids, don't lie to your kids, you know. But what do I know? I'm not a parent, yeah. ignore me. <laughs> so that is our case, y'all. About the Black Mafia family. Wow, sister. There were so many moving pieces to that. And I'm sure I missed a bunch. But I, t- I took notes. And I tried to follow along. But I love that during Black History Month, we're talking about, you know, Black history. Because let's be real. Black Mafia family, probably the first organized crime, let's just say syndicate, that was recognized in that way. Um, by the government, by whoever. So shout out to y'all. And we don't obviously condone law breaking, but I digress. It's a part <laughs> of the culture. <laughs> it's a part of our history and take it how you want it. And this is a true crime podcast. So yeah, we're ta- we talk about crime here. Okay. And honestly, it was a little fun talking about, you know, black criminal organizations, because I, like I said, you don't really hear too often about structured organized crime and the fact that mm-hmm. there is method to madness there's almost like um just a mysterious component to that you want to figure out like okay how can such structure and such i'll just say how can such structure match with crime 
Like, how does that make sense? Yeah. So I really enjoyed researching this case. And you thought there was a lot of pieces and people. There was way more than that. And right. thanks for taking the time out to just listen and give me the yeah. chance to write this case. You're welcome, sister. Thank you for blessing us with your little shankerink. <laughs> it was enjoyable and it was different, a different pace from just like murder, 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 like we're used to. So it was fun. I liked it. I hope you guys liked it too. Yeah, let us do, know. I was about to say, if you did enjoy it, let us know. Give Kristen some of her kudos. And with that being said, y'all, remember we are going on tour. March 1st is the last day to get your tickets. Okay, that's two yeah. paychecks from now. Get your tickets. Get your tickets so we can all have a blast. It's going to be intimate. It's going to be dope. It's going to be fun. Be there. Yes. Super excited. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, before we go, be safe, protect your peace, and protect your space so we don't have to cover your case. Period. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can stream all of our episodes on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Facebook. It's the best way to help the show grow, and it's completely free. For bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. And for more information about the show, you can visit BlackTrueCrime.com. See you next time.